This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. And if you want to join in on the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode or any other, please join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. I'm J.G. Hertzler, and I played Kolos on Enterprise, Star Trek Enterprise, and right now I'm on Warp 5. Welcome, boomers, to another episode of Warp 5. I'm your host, Brandon Shamutella, and joining me, as always, holy smokes, holy guacamole, holy gujibola jibololi, we've got all the crew here today. Patrick, how you been? Been good, I've been good. How are you? I am doing very good. It has been a week since I got back from the convention in Albany, New York, and it was a whole heck of a lot of fun. I had a really good time with Ken Tripp, and uh, I'm eager for us to be recording again, because we didn't record last week. So uh, Yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate. It's, it was You were like four hours from me, and I couldn't make it up there. Instead, I was at work getting electrocuted. Excellent, right on. Well, I made sure that that electrocution happened. Uh, I paid that guy well, and uh, yes, thank you, Bob. Also joining us is Brandy Jacola. How are you doing, Brandy? <laughs> Fine, thank you. <laughs> You're doing well, obviously. <laughs> I'm doing really good. I'm wearing my Melodic Trek shirt. Yes, it's lovely. It's nice. It's all vinyl. It's like a really good quality shirt for the most part. So there's a couple little black. They didn't do the black very well on the shirt, but that's okay. So I'm a, I'm like super excited. I had a I had a tweet the other day. This is a tangent. We're going to start off right off here. I went into work on Friday, and I'm like. I want to watch the new season of House of Cards, but I have one more episode of Man in the High Castle to watch. I can't handle these kind of stressful decisions. <laughs> yeah, just Man in the High Castle first. Finish yes, it. I did. I did finish it. one left. I know. I did. I, and so I, that was on Friday, and so I started House of Cards today, and it's really good so far. I'm excited to see where this last season goes. But Man in the High Castle was amazing. If you guys haven't seen it yet, you should go see it. I got, I was totally hooked, and I plowed through the three seasons as quick as I could, and uh, I really loved it. It's uh, without like spoiling anything. It's if you haven't seen the show, it is not at all what you're expecting. I guarantee you that because I was expecting one thing, and I got something else, and and uh, it was it was pretty good. I think the first season was the best. You've watched it, hey Brandy. I have. I actually went into it with zero expectations because I only knew that it had been a book and I had not read the book. So yeah, do you have, you have a favorite season out of the three? Well, it would be my the first season, which is not to say seasons two and three are not good. But yeah, that exactly. first season was just just hits you right in the face and just yeah. stays in your face. 
and that's that's not bad that's not bad it's not generally the type of television that I like to watch because it can be very heavy and it breaks my heart on a regular basis yeah. but I love it it's beautiful Matt and uh, Nick were talking about it on the 602 club and they both think the second season's better and it's second season's great isn't like it's you yeah. you know you're picking what's better chocolate cake or you know chocolate pudding I mean they're both great they're just different but unless uh, you don't like pudding who doesn't like pudding? What kind of monster I, I are don't. you? I don't. It's a texture thing. I have texture things. How about, okay, chocolate cake or chocolate candy bars? Candy bars. There you go. Sorry. <laughs> Anyways, we're not here to talk about uh, Man in the High Castle. We're here to talk about uh, Enterprise. And chocolate. I'm guessing Patrick hasn't seen Man in the High Castle because he like went, fell asleep when we were talking. Not one episode, sorry. It's really good. Wait, look, I still have to get through what I'm watching now to get two animated series to get two Man on a High Castle. It's okay. It's okay, Patrick. We're Hurry not up, Patrick. Holy hey, 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 hey. A no. second ago she wasn't judging. Now she's yelling at someone. No, I'm just saying you're judging. Don't tell him to hurry up. He'll, he'll do it in his own time. I might be dead by the time that comes. <laughs> But we are here to talk about some Star Trek Enterprise, and tonight we are continuing with our season oh, four. I've watched that. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were having some kind of revelation. That was great. <laughs> good. Thank you. Thank you, Patrick, for putting in an effort for the podcast. I appreciate it greatly. <laughs> but uh, we're, before we get into our reviews of the next ep uh, couple episodes for our podcast here, Brandy, I believe you have some comments from the Babel Conference on our last two episodes, which was our These Are the Voyages epic, amazing Hulk Hogan Macho Man rewrite. <laughs> okay, I was on board until you said Hulk Hogan, and now I'm just walking away with my head shaking. What's wrong with Hulk Hogan? Uh, he's a racist? No, no, no. He, he said Hulk Hogan is not racist, but Terry's racist. Okay, I, there we go. I, well, I can't follow this stuff. I don't know. I haven't. I don't know anything anymore. You know, I, I tweeted something or Facebook something once, and I like read an article where they like thought that they found Noah's Ark, and I'm like, well, this is interesting, so I retweeted it, and then like people were just like crapping all over me. They're like, this guy's some racist liberal who wants guns. I don't even know my terms, so I'm just rambling, blah blah blah, and I'm like, I don't even know who you're talking about. Like whoever's web page it was, and I'm just like, I don't know. Sure. So I, yeah. I can't keep up with it anymore. There's just too many. I don't know. It's, it's fine. It's fine. Okay, so on part one, uh, which is Warp 5, number 169, uh, we have some comments. The first one got in there first. First, Tim Hans. He says, one thing which will forever bug me about Enterprise is they never got the chance to explain who Future Man was unless Discovery by some chance decides to address or answer that mystery. Plus, it was a golden opportunity missed to take the show into the Romulan War for the following season. That being said, Enterprise for me really keeps getting better and better with repeat viewings. Agree. Mm-hmm. Agree, agree. And then um, Chris Hill said, just started this one, but Brandon, this song came to mind when you were talking about the fun you have hosting, and that was Queen's Don't Stop Me Now. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, <laughs> Don't Stop Me Now. I love this podcast, and Don't Stop Me Now. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of our lovely associate producers, Jim McMahon, says, I was always unsatisfied. <laughs> I was always unsatisfied with the series finale, in quotes. The writers could have done so much else with that episode. I loved listening to your ideas for what the Enterprise finale could have been. Uh, and then Chris Hill later says, I have finished the episode and this is a great beginning. <laughs> uh Justin Ozer has to get his two cents in, and we love you, Justin. Uh, listening now, also an associate producer. Listening now, you reference Dayton's Ward TNG novel. <laughs> Let me start that one over. Listening now, you referenced Dayton Ward's TNG novel, Headlong Flight. That's such a great novel and one of my all-time favorites. He's reading every Star Trek book ever, guys. Like, he seriously is. I am, too. Yeah, it's, uh, he's, he's, I don't know how he's going to do it, but he just blows through him like nobody's business. And then he says, I'm loving the rewrite and bringing in all of the previous captains for an adventure. That would have been amazing. Here is the Trek KFC commercial, which is amazing. By the way, it seems like it's not the original actors. I'll put more on that in a further comment. And then he... Oh, no, it's definitely not the original actors. Oh, no. Uh... And there was a uh, Reddit thread, but in any case, I can't read it. It's too small. So <laughs> I'm just not going to read that Reddit thread. You can go to the Babel conference and see it. Uh, apparently, the commercial that uh, it was in this was for DirecTV. And uh, the commercial that Tim Hans was thinking of was a Bill Shatner, James Doohan commercial that aired in Britain, I think. So that's, they, you, you would be surprised at the people that show up the Americans that show up in British television commercials. It's a thing. Okay. Uh, we have a lot of comments on this, a lot more than I thought. Yeah. It uh, to be a popular, popular discussion. Yes. And uh, finishing off Justin Ozer's comments, the Voyager episode where they get trapped in a part of space and need to work with others to get out is the void. It's probably in my top five in all of Voyager. And uh, Brandon Cowell said, I don't think Archer was future guy. I think that would be a bad idea. wouldn't work. I agree. And then finally, Matt Rushing. Hi, Matt. He says, I love the idea of rewriting what is unequivocally the worst episode of Trek ever. Ooh, I don't know. Cat's paw. Uh, but I, I'll say, I think you f fell into the same trap the original writers did. You tried to make this something it should not be. This should have been an episode that wrapped up Enterprise as a series and finding a way to tie that into the signing of the Federation Charter. It would have been a love letter to Trek. I just don't think this needed to be a universe-spanning all-captains thing. I think it needed to be focused on Enterprise crew and their importance in the Trek canon and how without them the Trek we knew would not have been. Now that's a proper love letter to both. And then I responded, thanks for listening, Matt. I blame Bruce. <laughs> no. Oh. oh, 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 Bruce is going to have words to say on that. <laughs> and, uh, and then, of course, we have part two of the These Are the Voyages rewrite. So let me quickly get through those comments. There aren't quite as many there, which is probably a good thing for time considerations. Uh, let's see here. So, uh, Aaron Sugar says the premise of the episode, crew members from TNG interacting with NX-01 people via, via holodeck could have been used successfully. It shouldn't have been the series finale, obviously, but would have made for a good sweeps week episode. Instead of watching the quote unquote last mission, they could have Riker and Troy watching a mission we had seen before. It could have been used to explain the inconsistencies of canon as viewed by someone a couple hundred years later. Interesting. 
uh, Christopher Mock, Mock, I'm not sure how to pronounce your name, Christopher, my apologies. He says, the only way to salvage the ending is eliminate the episode from the series entirely. Let Enterprise end with Terra Prime. At least that felt like an ending. I'd rather have that instead of what we got, which was no Valentine, more of a sucker punch to the groin. Tell us how you really feel. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure where you stand on that. <laughs> I think a lot of people have kind of written that one off, and that's fine. I mean, like, choose your own adventures, right? So Yeah, exactly. It is still difficult for me to watch, but I don't skip it when I'm rewatching. Uh, Frosty Winnipeg says, like Voyager's finale, it would have been a better episode if you took out everything from the future. Mm, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if that would have made it better or not, but we'll never know. For sure. Anyway, Greg Molumby says, you know, I think there were some of these are the voyages where its heart seemed to be in the right place. The end with the Enterprise captains doing the space, the final frontier was basically the best part. Still, I choose to prefer Terra Prime as the true Enterprise finale. And uh, Matthew Bell says, just caught up with both parts back to back. Some very fun ideas. Complete OTT, that means over the top for those of you who don't know. Fan service, of course, but a far more fitting as a love letter to the fans. It would have been glorious. (laughs) I can't do Gowron. I'm sorry. That's okay. I, and again, like, so my idea with this one here, I mean, like, I totally understand what Matt, Matt said and, I, and oh, a few yeah, other yeah. people there. But again, I was trying to go with their their love letter to encapsulate all of Trek. And mm-hmm. so that's why I kind of pushed us on that direction there with uh, getting all the captains involved. And I think we all kind of came up with that. But yeah, I mean, a, a good finale would have been just a finale for Enterprise, right? So, yeah. So tonight we're going to do that. We're going to rewrite these of the voyages again. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, my God. No, tonight we do have... Thank you, everybody, for your feedback uh, before yeah. we get into that. Thank you very much. We really appreciate it. We like we like interacting with the listeners, and we like uh, we like knowing that we're not doing this in a vacuum, because uh, uh, we're doing it for you guys, and uh, we love to get the interaction. So somebody sent us a voicemail. You yeah. know, Send us an MP3 or something like that. Record us an MP3, and we'll put it in the show. Totally. Um, as long as there's no swears in it. No, no swears. swears. No swears. But tonight, we're going to continue with our Season 4 retrospective, and I believe this is Part 4. But tonight, we're just going to cover two episodes, uh, just because of the way the season works. Uh, We're just going to cover the two because it falls in between two three-parters. So tonight, we're going to cover Daedalus and Observer Effect. And I said it right, Observer Effect. For some reason, I always want to say Observer, like with a B instead of a V, but you know. It's okay. It's do you like Zerberts? I don't know what that is. <laughs> it's when someone does a against your skin, but it makes a sound. That's a Zerbert. Depends on which skin they're doing that to. <laughs> Usually um, moms do it on their baby's tummies. I would love That's that. A... Yes, okay. Now I've never heard that term Zerbert, but yes, no, I know what you're talking it's, about. It's, a, it's an American thing. Sorry. I thought they were raspberries. That's what I thought they were, was raspberries. Uh, no, raspberry is just straight up. <laughs> Whereas a Zerbert, you're actually doing it against somebody's skin. Okay. Well, learn Good. something new every day. Kind of like motorboating. But... Well. <laughs> but not. <laughs> really not. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. So that I would be more of a defined version of Zerberts. <laughs> That's yeah, defined, I guess. Yes. It's a very specific... Observer. Very specific. Yes. Yes. And Sorry. Yes. 
Images nobody needed in their head. I apologize profusely. The best thing about it is, you know, those are all like generic words, so we're maintaining our family rating here. Just some kids are just really confused, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Completely. Oh, boy. Welcome to Warp 5. (laughs) Tonight, we're talking about Daedalus. We're going to start with Daedalus. That's going to be the first episode we talk about for our retrospective. And in this episode, uh, we get the creator of the transporter coming to the ship, and we find out that he's an old family friend of Archer. And we we discover that he wants to create this new type of transporter technology that's going to beam people really, really far, which could possibly eliminate Starfleet. However, we find out that he has some dark ulterior motives. Well, maybe not dark, but, you know, ulterior motives nonetheless. So um, I like this episode. I think it's a really interesting episode. And it's an unsettling episode because you know right from the get-go that this guy, Erickson, is, like, not telling the truth. And, it, he, you know, Bill Cobb is this wonderful guest actor in this episode, and I think he does a really great job of portraying this this father who we find out is looking for his son. So, Brandy, let's start with you. What are your initial impressions on Daedalus? Well, uh, you know, Trip was so excited. He was just like, oh, I'm going to meet a legend. And he was just so nervous. It got actually really nervous, which I thought was adorable. Uh, you know, they say never meet your heroes, and sometimes that's right and sometimes it's not. But uh, the the thing is, is that I... You don't see it at first, but we'll talk about that later. I'll just skip that. Uh, You just kind of feel like, hmm, when uh, Emery and his daughter come on board and you just kind of feel like, I don't know, it's it's so subtle. I think it's a bit subtle. It's not like they're flat out mustache twirling or anything like that. But you know that something just seems off. It just seems off. Plus... uh, you know, it's it's almost immediately clear when uh, Emery and, and Danica, it's Danica, right? <laughs> Danica, are alone that uh, that they're there for a completely different reason than what they said. But we still don't know what that reason is. Right. So, but yeah, I just uh, to me it was obvious that there was something not on the level when they came on board. But I had no idea what that was going to encompass. But I figured. I'm pretty sure that they're not inventing this new transporter because it never gets mentioned again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, see, but that's just it. That's interesting. Like, to me, I, I know that at the end he says it'll never work and whatnot. But, I mean, like, I whenever I see this, I think of the transporter that we see in the Kelvin timeline. Hmm. You know, so like I personally draw that connection that like at at some point in that divergence, this technology did get invented. I mean, like this is something that's being tested out here. Like obviously, people are considering this type of technology. And I don't know. Have you guys ever thought of that connection before? Nope. No, I have not. Well, Although it makes sense, and but it makes sense that he would say it would never happen because after this episode, he's he's done. But the research is still there. Yeah, no, I know, but he would still believe it's never going to happen. Right. So his statement's not bad, you know, so. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. The thing I like the best about this episode, actually, is early on, there's a bunch of foreshadowing as to what they're doing wrong, even though you don't understand it. Yeah. You know, because she says, she's talking to Archer, and she says, uh, you know, f- uh, he, he's been obsessed with this forever. All he can think about is the uh, is Quinn, right? The son Quinn. And uh, 
maybe when this is over, he can finally stop thinking about that. Yeah. You know, but she already knows that he's not really here to create a warp drive. He's here to, you know, get Quinn. Right. They're yeah. transporter, I, not warp drive. Transporter. Yeah. Oh, that's what I meant. Sorry. And I feel like she at at that moment she really super wants to tell Archer what's going on, mm-hmm. and she doesn't, but she does at the same time. It's like she's giving him all of these really strong statements, hoping that he'll just clue in somehow, right, and and figure it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So telling him without telling him. Yeah. yeah well, she's not going to go against doing. her dad's wishes. No, but That's she obvious. really, really wants to because she thinks it's wrong. Right. You know, she also believes that she could trust Archer, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and the father doesn't. And I can see both points. Well, I I guess I don't see the point of the father and why he doesn't trust Archer because Archer is this old family friend, you know, and he was Quinn's best friend. And so I just don't understand why he thinks that Archer wouldn't help him if he knew the real reason. Because I think he thinks. I don't know if he thinks Archer won't help him, but he's not willing to risk Archer not helping him. He's also, and I think they should have wrote this in a little better, I think he should have been written to be protecting Archer. Because hmm. if, like if Archer knows, then he's culpable. If Archer True. doesn't know, then it's Starfleet's problem and his problem, not Archer's problem. Yeah. And I think that should have been written in somewhere because he does look at... Archer is a son, so he's not willing to risk another son. It, it makes perfect sense that that would be written there, and it's not anywhere in the episode. Yeah. Is it in the bonus features? Hmm. I haven't actually. Question. I have the Blu-ray, but like I haven't seen the DVD bonus features since I bought the discs in you know 2004 or whenever they came out, and I haven't actually had a chance to watch the Blu-ray bonus features. I bought them in 2016. I've seen all the episodes, but I haven't seen any of the bonus features yet. Um, but it, the episode itself. You know, there it feels like it's missing stuff. Like it feels like it's truncated. There's a couple mm. of points. Like for instance, the um, I, I wonder if there was more story to it that they just edited it out for time because it, it, in the teaser, you know, it just ends abruptly with um, Emery Erickson laughing. You know, and it, it, like it doesn't fade out. Like sometimes they'll like when they don't have an action beat. Sometimes it just fades out and then goes to the theme song. But this it just kind of cuts off. And there's another point where it's talking with Archer and it just cuts off and goes to where it would have been a commercial. Like this. so, there's a couple of times in the episode where it feels like it's been truncated a little bit. Do you guys get the feeling that it might be missing something? Like something might be on the editing floor. Yeah, I would. I would be willing. Well, there's always something on the editing room. Editing, oh good grief! Editing room floor, but I would like to know what it is because it does seem like there was more there that had to be cut for time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, like it's not a lot. Like it's, I'm sure it's not crucial plot details that are on the cutting room floor. Yeah, but it does feel but... like the episode's just shortened a little bit too much. Yeah, yeah, and and like you said, they're kind of rough edits too. Mm-hmm. They didn't even edit them very smoothly in those few parts yeah but i mean like emery is this really interesting character as soon as he comes aboard you know um danica's like oh let's let's catch up on old times and he's like later i want to see this ship you know and so like he's really interested in this in this technology and that changes really abruptly you know like he gets to work really quickly and is focusing on this mission to save his son 
So, like, the character doesn't quite feel, you know, the same throughout. Like, he his motivations seem to be constantly changing and it's, I don't know, like it's just, I almost think the episode could have had another rewrite, but I mean, it doesn't, I still really like the episode a lot, but you know, just, just some, something doesn't quite ring true with his character throughout. That's all. Well, um, just according to what little bit I have been able to glean, uh, this was, uh, actually, Manny Cotto wanted to create an origin story for the transporter with this episode, and he was not pleased with the script or the completed episode. So what happened there, he was not happy with. Mm. Um, so I, I don't, I don't know what he wanted to do that didn't happen. It, I'm curious to know now. So I feel like whatever it was, it wasn't what he wanted and I just maybe he just did as best as he could and then there was no yeah. more he could do it kind of feels like that could be like time constraints or like the episodes are going but we still need to get it out there so yeah could be that yeah I mean as far as him changing through the episode I just kind of in my head I chalked that up to him trying to hide his motivations and doing a poor job mm -hmm. of it at times yeah, and what's this medication that he's on that they're using, that they're showing me unnecessarily, showing me being injected into his back with this very long needle? I do not like needle violence. Please leave the needles out of it. In this day and age of hyposprays, I don't want to see freaking needles. Yeah, it's needles. interesting because they don't explain, like, they leave it up to your imagination. Like, in my interpretation, this is clearly a transporter malfunction that happened. I'm guessing, like, early on, like, probably his first or second transporter attempt this happened to him. And, um... But it doesn't say what the medication is and why he needs it. So they just they leave it up to your imagination. You, you know, it's it it looks like the type of damage, like the damage on his back, looks like the type of damage that happens to that guy's face and happens to Paul's hand. So I, I had thought that there was going to be some kind of connection there, and it, it it didn't follow through. Like I thought that's even still every time I watch the episode, I think there's going to be some type of connection there. You know, and also. I don't know if you guys thought about this, but it looks like the, the damage that happened to the guy's face in uh, because of the anomalies in in the expanse, like the second episode with that guy that's in, in the second episode of season three, that guy that's in the brig, right? Half his face is like melted. Like it looks like that same kind of damage. Yeah. So I I always thought though that that damage came from because remember Archer mentioned briefly that. He had run into these anomalies five years earlier on his research vessel. Oh. So I always put them together as that was from the anomaly of his son. Oh. Oh, I like that. Oh, my. You are good, Patrick. <laughs> I really like that because oh. in my head, Ken, and like, because again, they don't say where it came from. I had always just assumed that that, because he also says at one point, he's like, he says during, I think it's during the dinner scene, he says that the transporter came and it wasn't without danger. I'm living proof of that. So I just always made that connection that it's his damage back is the living proof that he's, that it's a dangerous technology and there was troubles getting off the ground. But I like the idea that he possibly had this damage from his son. That just wasn't explained in the episode, but I like that a lot. Yeah, I just I don't I don't know why it just always felt that way to me because he hid the fact that um, he had seen this before, 
And yes. Archer had found out there was a, a, a blurb of research somewhere on his research, you know, in a, a log somewhere that had mentioned something similar to this, but he never talked about it again. And to me, him trying to hide his son, you know, that, that all makes sense in the character to me. Yeah. That he's trying That's to lie because cannon. he doesn't want them to know that this is what it's all about still. Yeah, no, totally. Right there, you have just changed my perception of this. And from now on, when I watch this episode, I'm going to think that that's damage caused by his son. I think that adds a lot to the episode. That's yeah. my headcanon now. Yeah, because if you also remember, like, he kind of, he, he said he didn't think anyone would get hurt. But, like, when the daughter is yelling at him about it, about the guy dying, it's kind of like they knew that was a, a distinct possibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, excellent. I love that. Yeah. So so let's talk about Quinn here for a bit. So this son, he's trapped in this state and and again, it's it my understanding of the episode, so like he they were testing out this new transporter that they wanted to go long distances and the son ended up getting lost while doing one of these tests. And so he spent, you know, however many years, 15 years I guess, trying to bring his son back. And again, one of the motivations of the episode and it, and it's it's a uh What's the word I'm looking for? It's a plot device to to get the characters where they need to be. Is I guess I just don't understand what the rush is in this episode and why he has to get it done now. I know that they tell us in the episode, well, they're losing him and it's going to be too late very soon. But it's been 15 years that his son has been floating around as this as this weird anomaly. I don't understand why now it's a rush. Because there wasn't a ship powerful enough before to help him do this right but that still doesn't explain the rush well signal degrades over time right yeah but 15 years is a long time for it to suddenly be a rush now i don't know i just that's the only thing that i'm like this is just kind of weird but i'm not gonna get hung up on that i guess i just i don't know if now is the only time it's been a rush Thank you. That's what I was going to say. I feel like that it's probably been a rush for a while, but this is the first real opportunity that he's had. Could be, yeah. Could be. So, um, so some of the questions that the sister brings up, Danica brings up, is like... Oh, wait, wait. One last thing. Also... Oh, go ahead. I think he wants to... It might be part of the rush might be the fact that he's trying to do it before anyone gets wise to him doing it. Mm-hmm. The longer he stays there, the more Trip is looking into him, and he kind of knows that. That's why, like, that was a great scene when he's like, um, he's like, ah, oh, to, to make it easier on you, I'll uh, put the power coupling in or whatever it was, the power converter in. And Trip's like, uh, ah, yeah. yeah, if you don't mind, I'd like to see it. And he just kind of ignores the sentence at first. Mm-hmm. And he's like, so, can I see it? And he's like, I told you, I, I can do it. I'm, you know, you don't think I'm capable? Yeah. It's an uncomfortable scene to watch. Very, I like it because of that. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. You don't get that a lot because you know there's some kind of weird subtext going on. You know something's not right. But just the words that they're using are pleasant, but you can really tell that there's something not right and he's hiding something. Yeah, and Trip yeah. can tell they, they use as a, well. It's a great use of pauses mm. to, to really give what's really being conveyed over what's being said. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you got it. So, um, but they, they mentioned Quinn and like the state that he's in They're They're questioning, like, does he sense anything? Does he know? Is he just going to, if we beam him back, is it just going to be like, it's the next second for him? Like, what is he going to be expecting? And, uh, 
you know, it always surprises me the last scene when they materialize him on the ship. And because to me, it would feel more appropriate to just beam him out and scatter his atoms. But maybe that's not right. For I don't know why that would feel like the right decision for me, but I'm always surprised when he materializes on the transporter pad and then falls to the ground. What do you guys think about that? I thought it was fitting, and I thought it was extremely uncomfortable to watch. Yeah. Um, like, so I think it answers our question, too, by the way. What is it going to be like for him? Because he obviously didn't know he was gone for 15 years. Uh, even though he makes no reference to his dad's uh, appearance changing, he, he asks him what's wrong right before he dies. Which, yeah. to me, says he doesn't understand that he's dying. And, it has, and that he's been gone for so long. Mm-hmm. Randy? Yeah, I, I feel like that in order for Emery and Danica, well, especially Emery, really, it's more about Emery than anything else, to have the closure that he needed, we needed to have a body. We needed to have Quinn materialize, and mm-hmm. we needed for him to be able to hold his son that one last time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would have been kinder to just scatter his atoms into space, but that's not what they chose, and that's not what Emery would have chose. Because in in the end, his concern was for his son, but he, it was more about he wanted to see his son, he wanted to hold his son, he wanted to rescue his son, mm-hmm. and he wanted that tangible evidence that his son was still alive. I guess what feels odd to me is I just I'm surprised that he can materialize at all, I guess, is if I were to put it into words, is that he can materialize as a solid form on the transporter pad at all. Because if he's been just this floating mass of, like, spectral matter for 15 years, I'm just surprised that there's anything left to coalesce into a being Well, at that point. What I find weird is I am, the first time I watched it especially, but I am surprised they can bring him back because they're fighting it so hard at the moment and he's like yelling at him to, to to hook up other things, and and Trip's trying to tell him there's not enough time, and um, it just seems like the he can't bring him. It shouldn't. No more power should be able to bring him back alive. You know what I mean? Right. So it's kind of weird that he's fighting this, unable to get him, and then he kind of like just pushes a button to materialize him and hope for the best, and it works. But he's dead anyway. So yeah, the science to me just doesn't work. Although I'm not a quantum physicist, so. Who knows? It just seems the way that scene was written was a little odd. Right, because with them fighting, it's almost like they can't materialize him. Right. And that's what they're fighting to do is they're fighting to try and bring more power, boost the power so we can materialize him, boost this and boost this so we can materialize him. Right. And then he just materializes and then collapses. Right. And so I guess that's, yeah, putting into words, that's what doesn't feel quite right to me. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, if they would have written it a little better that he wasn't ready to materialize or he was going to be dead. And then I don't know. It's just the way they worded it. It just seemed like there was no way to materialize him. And then there he is. Yeah. Again, I really like this episode. I mean, like it's not a strongest episode, but I like what they were trying to do here. And I don't know if it would have been another pass of an editing, another pass of a script, you know, something like that, that could have improved it quite a bit. But um, I like what they were attempting to do here. So, um, I do also want to touch on T'Pol's storyline in this episode with T'Pol and Trip. So this is really, you know, we, we've had the uh, the Augment trilogy after this, or sorry, before this, 
And, you know, to Paul and Tripp sit down at one point in this and it, and Trip's like, this is really the first time we've had a chance to talk since we were on Vulcan together. And T'Pol's been reading the Kirshara. And, uh, you know, she's like, she's changing. And so, like, this is the book that's basically the Vulcan Bible. And it's changing who she is. And, you know, this is an important transition in her life. And this book is making a lot of sense to her. And it, it, she has a lot of questions. And it's a difficult time for her because she's starting to question all the things that she's been raised with, you know? So, and I mean, like when I see this storyline, like I question, I, I see a parallel to when I came to Christianity, you know, and, and I still have a heck of a lot of questions and, you know, because of the things that I was raised on, but you know, the thing with, um, when T'Pol's like, I, I probably just have other priorities now. And like, I've got to deal with this now. Like, this is something that's important to her. And that's something that kind of happens to people when they find faith is that their priorities shift and their priorities change. And then there's there's times that you lose friendships because of it. You know, because there's something that's different in your life and something that's more important. And it's it's an interesting transition to make. You know, like one of the, you know, like as, as, as a Christian, my, my journey that I've had, like one of the interesting things is, I, I saw a funny post online that said, um, it, it made me laugh. It's like, I don't want to ask Santa for a bike, or I don't want to pray to God for a bike for Christmas because miracles don't work that way. So I'm just going to steal a bike and ask for forgiveness instead. Right. So like, I, I think that's really funny because it like in a nutshell, like that's kind of what, like if, at scratching the surface, that's basically what it is. Right. But you know, as you go through it, like it's not quite that and there's more to it than that. And like your, your perspectives change on things, you know? So I don't know. I'd kind of, I'm just kind of rambling here now, but uh, I don't know. What do you guys think of this interesting take on, on to Paul's journey and where she is now with this Kirshara? Go on, Patrick. Oh, um, no, I mean, I enjoy it. I think she's a little rough around the edges to trip in the beginning, but it makes sense. Like you said, these things kind of happen and she's trying to throw all her focus behind it. And that, and I feel that some of that is because, you know, she had, she had the, the Trillium D addiction earlier in season three. Mm -hmm. So this is making her again. She's trying to get back from that and learn this new version of her religion. And it's a lot to take on in a short period of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. I uh, I feel like, you know, I understand what Tripp was trying to do. He really was just trying to be a friend. And she has all of this other stuff going on. And so when he's asking her, you know, well, she tells him that she's been reading the Kirshara. And he's like, well, how is, how is it? And she says, interesting. And that's it. That's all she says mm -hmm. and she's giving mm -hmm. him all of these one word answers and i don't even know if it's meant to be a sort of back off vibe i think it's more that she doesn't know how to explain what is going on with her she mm -hmm. doesn't think that he's going to understand what is going on with her because what she's going through she's going through as a vulcan and he's a human i think there's some of that going on as well in how she's thinking about it is she's she just doesn't explain because she doesn't think that he can possibly relate or understand well, well i think it's partially that but it's also partially because she's still processing everything exactly. she's like yeah it's a lot to take in well mm -hmm. I, she does say that at one point doesn't she he says uh you know he, he says something along the lines of tell me how it turns out and she says well once i understand it myself right 
Yeah, exactly. Like it's a, it's a lot to take in, and it's, you can't just you know have all the answers the first time through. And I'm sure she's probably read it a couple of times at that point, right? But uh, you know, who knows? I just I wanted to bring that up because I think it's a really interesting plot line. You know, plus at the end, you know, there's no more symptoms of Pinar mm-hmm. in her of the Pinar syndrome, and there's a That's lot of people. Tapal removed it. Yeah, there's a lot of people on Vulcan who are experiencing that as well. And, like, that's a life-changing experience as well. If you think you have an uncurable disease and all of a sudden it's gone. And her mom died. And her mom died. So, you know, like, so the, she had a lot going on. But so she got an interesting an interesting plot. And I look forward to revisiting and seeing how T'Pol changes over the next few episodes. So, but speaking so. about, you know, dead relatives, um, I found it interesting. I, I, I wanted to talk about this, but I, I missed my chance. So we're going back. Um, when he's yelling at Trip, you don't know what it's like to lose someone you love. And Trip's answer back was, "I absolutely do, but I would do anything to get them back out, except for putting other people at risk." Right. Um, I found it to be an interesting statement back, because there was a point where Trip would have risked other people to get her, to get revenge for that. To get revenge, but not to get her back. Well, yeah, but right? she, she so, was dead. Right, and but the revenge that he wanted to get was against the Zindi. Who are now also threatening the entire planet, right? Yes. So he has had growth. No, I, I think he has. And I just found it an interesting statement because, yes, it was to get revenge and not get her back. But I think getting someone back is actually more justified. Yes. I don't think either killing someone else for either is good. Just if you had to rank them, just for revenge is worse. Right. If that makes sense. I don't but know. Steve- I think they're both pretty bad. I agree, but I don't think they're equal. No, I don't think they're equal either, but I find it worse to be to be willing to take someone else's life to bring back the life of a loved one, not in revenge, just anyone. You're just randomly picking anyone and you're ending their life to bring back the person that you want to have again. I think that is absolutely horrendous. And I think but that's I way don't... worse than revenge. I also don't think that Emery expected that to happen. I think he thought it was a possibility, but I don't think he expected it to happen. No, I think that he kind of did. I think he kind of did. His experiment itself doesn't actually cause this. It's being in that area with the anomaly that does. And um, but I, I do think, I don't know. I'm kind of on the fence on that one because I, again, I think that it caused his damage, so therefore he could understand the um, problems with it. But I think he also thought that he was going to be able to lock on and pull him in before that happened. So, right. um, you know, sometimes the worst part of a person is their their their, uh, their arrogance because they believe they can fix something before it becomes a problem, and then it's too late. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, if Stephen King ever taught us anything, it's sometimes dead is better. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Pet Cemetery. Yes, we, yeah, we, I know, we I know what no, you're understand. referencing. I'm just, I'm just thinking about it from a philosophical <laughs> point of view. I'm like, mm, actually, yeah. Sometimes that is better. Mm-hmm. So. Excellent. Okay, well, let's move on to our next episode, unless you guys have any final comments on Daedalus. No. no. Okay, Observer Effect. This is one of the best, most frustrating episodes of the series. Okay, let's... I hate so much of this episode, but it's my favorite episode of so Enterprise. So let's start there. Why is it so frustrating, Brandon? Why is it? I don't know. They didn't need to be the Organians, right? I so 
you know how we talked about like fan service and whatnot. I think it's a little too much fan service that these are the Organians. But I love the episode nonetheless. And and just like you guys remember, you know, uh, Wages of Fear, right? And that final scene in Wages of the Fear and how much I hate that final scene, it does not change the fact that it's my favorite movie of all time, right? And I, I don't like that this is the Organians, but I really love this episode, and I think it's it's I think it's my favorite episode of Enterprise. I really I it's you know I, I I go back and forth with this in future tense. I just don't think it needed to be the Organians, but I love the episode so much. So the more I watch it, the more I like it, and the less I care that it's the Organians. <laughs> That's fine. I was, well. <laughs> even today I'm watching it again, and when they're like, "We're the Organians," I'm just like, "Damn it, no, well, don't do that." Because the premise here is, and I've heard a lot of people complain about it, the premise is they shouldn't have been the Organians, right? Because we don't run into them yet. Right. Well, so what? They wiped a memory, so they don't remember running into the Arganians, and exactly. clearly, I no, it's not. It's it's not that they met them, and you know, I agree. They don't. They don't remember it. It's just like by the time we get to the Arganians in Errand of Mercy, they're they still don't know anything about humans, and they're all like blah blah blah. I don't. I just. I don't think it fits. You know, with the with the continuity of what we see in Errand of Mercy is all. You know, and I'm not like I'm not. I just. It doesn't. Again, it, this is my favorite episode of the show, so I'm splitting hairs here, right? Like, you know, I love Saru; he's my favorite character, but I still hate the threat ganglia. You know, like, I, nothing's perfect, and this episode is just the only thing. I, it could have just been any type of alien race. Right. Nobody likes the threat ganglia. Yeah, I don't know. I had a very passionate discussion with Bill and Dan in Nobody. the in the Northeast TrekCon, and they they think I'm completely out to lunch on it. And feel free to contact Bill anytime you want. He thinks uh, I'm completely out to lunch on that. Really? They're completely yes. inconsistent. Completely inconsistent ability. Yeah, and that's that's what I told him. But he has his own justification, which is fine. I mean, it doesn't bother him. That's fine. You know, and I was. Uh, oh, you it know, doesn't we're bother going on a me. Tangent. I just think it's dumb. <laughs> we're going on a tangent. Like, if you want, like, we were just we just created a bonus episode on Odo for the Patron Zone, right? And I mean, one thing that's inconsistent about Odo the entire series, like he's one of my favorite characters, is like his weight. You know, and in one of the novels, the very first original novel. Uh, called The Siege by Peter David. You know, Peter, we didn't know enough about Odo yet, so Peter David wrote that Odo is very... He maintains his mass. Mass? Would, like, he's this, not yes. weight, but mass, yes. right? And so when he turns into a little rat, he, like, bites onto somebody's pant leg, and because he's so heavy, the guy trips. Because it's like a weight holding him down, right? So, so he's like uh, Ant-Man. Yes. Something like that, yeah. And so, like, in my... I, I like that aspect in the novel, and so I kind of wish that they would have done that, but in the show, Odo's just whatever weight he needs to be, right? So, you know, but that doesn't bother me, but the threat ganglia bother me. So, anyways, tangent over. All so. right, fair enough. Um, I love the episode, I just wish it wasn't the Arganians. So That's I, the only thing. I love the way this episode starts with them playing chess, too. Oh, it's so, so amazing. Because at first you don't... I mean, if it's the first time you're ever watching it, you don't know it's not them, but they're kind of talking weird. Well, like, it yeah. is a weird way to start it because you're like, why are these guys playing chess? You, you never see that. Like you see, you see Cisco and Dax play chess, but like chess is not something that you really see in Star Trek. No, and you know, you get see a two D, especially like you see the three D, but you don't see two D. Is sorry, is what I mean, right? Yeah, and they yeah, talk so. about it, and they're talking about like all the infinite combinations, and you know, one to the one hundred million, uh, whatever, hundred and fifty, the tenth power, whatever it is, hundred fifty thousand, the tenth power, but. Um, they talk about that, and the way just the way they're talking, they're clearly not themselves. Yes, but they don't. 
you don't know that yet. So it's kind of like, huh? And I right. like that. I like the way that starts. Um, and then well, you, you do find out pretty quickly when they're like, somebody always dies. Right. right? Well, at the end of that conversation, yeah. you they they kind of tell you. See, but the thing about starting it with chess is chess is such a perfect game. You know, like chess is such an amazing game because it's it's such a fascinating, like I can't put the words properly, so I'll do my best here to describe it. But it's like, it's this awesome combination of like the military and the church and how they have to work together and they have to kind of both be strong. And if they're both weak, then they don't work very well. For example, if you've only got one knight and you've only got one bishop, they're they're very ineffective the way that the game is set up. You kind of need both, you know. So it, it's a really fascinating game, and so it's really fascinating that they've used it here because, like, while there are a certain limited amount of of uh, outcomes for a game, like it's a large number for us to comprehend. It, it's interesting because that's what they're talking about the whole way through this this episode. They're like, in this percentage of the time, this happens. And in this percentage of the time, this happens. And this only happens this percentage of the time. You know, so it's like there there's a set defined parameter for them that they've come to expect out of these events that are about to occur. You know? Right, so I think absolutely. It's, I think it's really interesting that they compare it with the chess game, so... No, I, I love it, and um, I also love the fact that one of the two, it's their first mission. Yeah, that's a really interesting, uh, an interesting aspect of the episode as well. And so. he's the one who screws it all up. Mm-hmm. And I love that they've chosen who they've chosen in this episode as well. So while it's not Travis Mayweather, right, it's it's Anthony Montgomery, and so he really gets us, you know, to shine in this episode. And same with Hoshi. You know, like Hoshi being one of the ones that's sick. We get to spend a lot of time with these two actors. And honestly, we get to see all of the crew in this episode a lot. And that's another reason why I love this episode so much is because everybody's here and everybody gets a significant amount of screen time. Well, to to touch on Hoshi, I mean, I think it's great. I think it's great for her character that in the middle of being sick and starting to talk in all different languages because she's, like, half out of it, she can still use math via language yeah. to escape the room. I mean, right. I'm going way ahead in this episode right now, but... That's such a great scene. It is. It's an amazing scene because she she's talking... I, I think she was talking Spanish to Klingon to then English so that we can understand what she was saying finally. And she mm-hmm. says, uh, math is just another language. And she's, like, hitting buttons. And as Trip is trying to tell her, you know, you're never going to... Oh. You got it. But again, that fits in with the theme of the episode and what the Organians are saying. They're like, this is it. This is happens this many times. Once in a while this happens, but either one person dies or everybody dies and this nothing will ever happen and nothing will ever change. And even Trip is saying that this is impossible. And here we got a human overcoming the impossible because of her abilities. And that's what makes humans different and humans unique. Right. Well, just like, and again, we're jumping ahead, but, um, when they go to resuscitate her with the with the, basically uh, their version of a defibrillator, and he's like, and he's basically like, I've never seen that before. He's like, you never seen that. He goes, no. He goes, well, you haven't you seen them try to bring people back? He goes, not after all hope is gone. Mm-hmm. And this yeah, is and then the, they gonna... print out a pull out another unnecessary needle. Ugh. Two episodes in a row. Needle oh man, violence. I totally, I totally think Pulp Fiction. Whenever I see that in this episode here, <laughs> but. 
But it's great because this is where the other, the other, the the new person new in the guy. mission is. New guy. Yeah, new guy. This is where new guy is really starting to turn. Where when maybe maybe we should break the rules. Maybe this yeah. isn't proper, and I you know and and it's really what Archer does, and then Archer's speech that really puts him over the edge at the end. But I'm I'm way ahead of ourselves now. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's okay. We're just discussing the episode in general, and it's like a sum of the episode that makes it so amazing. I mean, like, it's it's so well done, and it's so spooky, you know, and I, I love the ticking time clock that we know something really bad is going to happen right from the outset, but we don't quite understand what's going on, you know, and I, I really like the idea of the Prime Directive being turned against us. Because that's something that's happened a couple of times in Star Trek, and I wish it would happen more, because that's what this is. They're like, look, we have nothing to do with this. These people would have died no matter what. We just happen to be here watching what's going on, seeing how they react to trying to determine if they'd be good for contact. I don't know why this event is what they've determined that that bar, that benchmark to be, right? Why is it? Are they all going to die or not? I don't understand why this is the benchmark. However, I but again, I don't understand why is warp technology the benchmark that the Federation chooses, right? You know, it's just like it's just that just happens to be the benchmark that they've chosen. But it's it's really interesting to see the the prime director turn back on them because Phlox and Archer both say, "Look, you can help us. Why don't you help us?" Archer mentions himself, "I've been in this situation. And it's very hard." You know, so I, I love it when the Prime Directive is turned on its head and and not used against the Federation, but the Federation's on the other side of the fence. I love seeing that. Yeah, I agree. I here's my thing. I didn't really have a problem with it being the Organians, and I'll tell you why. This is what I imagine happened after the end of the episode. Those two guys or gals or whatever gender they are, it doesn't matter, whatever sex they are, they go back to the collective or whatever. The yellow light bulb uh, gender. Yeah. There you go. And uh and their superiors are like, Oh, you did not just do that. Oh, you have ruined everything. Now we have to go find another benchmark. You two are out. Get out of here. You do not ever speak of this. And that just wipes away everything that happens. So now you have nobody who knows what actually happened on that ship. And that's why Erin of Mercy still works. There you go. That's my headcanon. Sure. That's fine. I never even thought it out that far. Oh, I did. (laughs) I just I just I like did. the episode a lot, and uh, I did too. That's why I did that because I'm just like I just I just said I'm not even bothering, and I'm good with this mm-hmm. as it is. Well, um, I, I've heard the argument about it, be, you know, kind of conflicting with Aaron of Mercy, and so I thought I'm going to fix this in my head. So if anyone asks me what I think about it, I will tell them. Nice, excellent. Right. Okay. Well, I've I've been talking a lot here, so I want to hand the mic over to you guys. It's your turn to gush a little bit because I've just gushed all over this podcast. So no. So, but I I completely agree with what you're saying, Brandon, about the Prime Directive because it just it shows just how ridiculous it can be. Mm-hmm. They're going to watch an entire starship die, a starship of what they believe are good people, simply because they can't destroy a a, a virus. Right. right. So. And how many times have we seen someone get in trouble or do something or, you know, I mean, usually the, our captains, the captains we're watching and stuff, end up stepping in and helping and then causing some big problem where they see the starship anyway. But 
just to listen, like, oh, that that planet's going to get wiped out if no one and, I, and no one does anything to stop it. There's a meteor headed right at it, and everyone's going to die. But mm-hmm. we can just tractor beam it for a hot second and fix everything. Yeah. Well, we can't do that because we're in we're influencing the natural progression of the society. Says who? Who says you weren't supposed to be there to fix it? That, that's a that's a viable option in the grand scheme of everything. Mm-hmm. And if you believe that it's all destiny, then what does it matter what anyone does? I don't believe it is all destiny, though. That's just yeah. it. Like we all have our own choices, and we all have choices to make, right? Like. No, I know. That's what I'm saying, though. Like, because their belief is that if that rock is gonna, if that meteor is gonna hit the planet, then it should hit the planet because that's destiny. That's the way it's supposed to happen. But that's nonsense because I'm here, and I can fix it. Yeah. So even if you believe it is destiny, then why is it not destiny that I'm here to fix it? I don't think of it as destiny, more like natural selection. So almost like evolution, because who's to say, okay, we saved that planet and now 5,000 years from now, the planet's dying from overpopulation, over, uh, over mining, over industrialization, et cetera. And they all die anyway. Or, or if that happens, then that sucks for them. But, or the other option is they make the greatest technological advances in the universe that we never get because we let them die. Mm-hmm. Or something else doesn't come to be because they were still there, and now those things we never get to see. See, that's the thing. We right, just don't know. You're right, but if I'm there, I'm saving people. That's my thing. Mm-hmm. See, it's, it's interesting because you blow this up on this this large of a scale, and we have this discussion, and I, I, I bring it back to things that we see on the planet here. And, I mean, I just want to bring these up just as points. They're like articles that I have read. I am not a vegan. Right, and there's a lot of people out there who are like, you know, uh, saying that vegan is the way we shouldn't eat animals and whatnot. And like, I recently read an article. I can't find it. I can't tell you the source of it. Right? If you want to find it, you can Google it. Which is like an argument why veganism is not a good thing for the growth of the planet. Right? I'm just. I read the article once. I'm talking on vague terms, but it has to do with uh, animals fertilizing the ground which makes it fertile for food and if you're just constantly growing things it's not good for the land and animals need to be there because the bacteria that they put into the dirt you know it's like this whole thing that's like not thought of like you think of one aspect of a problem and you don't think of what is extrapolated from that problem you know like i had a discussion i work in the in the pipe field right like my business makes steel pipe which is used to to transport oil Right. And oil is a hot topic right now. And everybody's like, we shouldn't have oil. And it's like, you know, you can't just get rid of oil. Right. Like, yes, eventually I agree. We should get to a point where we're not self, we're not so dependent on fossil fuels. I do believe that, but you can't simply just eliminate it immediately. Like people don't think of certain things. They're like, okay, pipelines are bad because of what happened on, I I don't remember the name of it, but there was that reserve in the States where they were trying to force the pipeline go through. That's bad. Yes, I agree with that. Pipelines on a whole though, I personally don't believe are bad because I believe they are the safest way to transport. We need to maintain it. We need to have laws in place that dictate when these pipelines get replaced in order to maintain their safety. Because if you just leave them in the ground, they're going to rot and they're going to weaken, right? But I mean, and that's why things are happening right now. But, you know, people say, well, we shouldn't have pipelines. Well, what's going to happen then is you're going to replace it with transporting by train. 
And transporting by train is not good because it's expensive. And that's causing its own pollution in transporting that oil that people don't think of. Well, and, you know, and more like, accidents. You know, there are more accidents with train, and they're not commonly reported right now because the type of goods that are transported by train are not hazardous to the environment, like grain, right? Like if you have a grain spill, right, that's not going to cause a big news report. But if you think about it, okay, so they can charge a premium for transporting oil on trains, and if they stop transporting grain, that means grain will have to be transported by truck going forward, which is going to end up costing more in the long run for that, which is going to cause the price of food to go up. Like These are all trickle-down effects that people don't consider. And while, yes, the root problem is we need to decrease our dependence on fossil fuels, you can't simply make everybody have a battery-operated car because people can't afford that. You can't just expect everybody to immediately replace, you know, or convert their vehicles to a you know, a battery operated vehicle because people can't afford that. There's just too many vehicles out there and people don't have the income to do it, right? You got things like solar powered houses going on right now, but that's still entirely funded by the consumer. You can get a loan that allows you to pay the exact same dollar amount that you're paying for your power bill right now. And instead you're now paying for the loan to pay for your solar powered house but it's still up to you to pay that for the 20 years. And at the end of the 20 years, if it breaks down, it's still up to you to replace it at that point. And so you're out nothing or you're, you're like you're, you net nothing at the end of all that. And this has just been a really long tangent on a whole lot of issues that I don't know if people will comment on, but it's just, you got to think about other things and it's not just one effect and one result. There are a lot of effects that people need to study and realize when they make their own opinions and it's like it, dropping a pebble in a pond it is right and all of the ripples that spread out from that one little pebble brandy's really right. good at knocking what we say down to things people understand that's <laughs> what i'm here for folks <laughs> euphemisms excellent that was a long tangent sorry for the listeners i'm gonna leave it in i'm not gonna take it out but it's kind of a long totally, tangent totally but it's it. it's interesting and this this whole thing where they have this benchmark i don't understand why they have this as a benchmark of what is going to happen when they die here like i don't know what what result that would have been interesting almost to say what result would they have wanted them in order to ensure that they were quote-unquote ready for first contact no what do you deaths. think that result no deaths. But i just don't so understand met nobody I just don't understand why that would signify they're ready for first contact. Because they're smart enough to understand a light-based being. You think so? It could. I, I that's could what be. I get out of it. I mean, I don't. I don't know, but that's how I took it. Yeah. <laughs> I just shrug. I just. I. How can we know why that's their benchmark? Because we don't know enough about the Orcanians at all mm -hmm. to have any kind of even now to have any kind of judgment of why they would choose that. Yes. No, I don't know and why And apparently they they've that. been doing for like 10,000 years. No, but I, so I don't understand why that's their benchmark. I just, the way they were talking, it seemed like the only way they would make first contact is if there are no deaths. Because mm -hmm. the guy says numerous times, there's always at least one. Yes. Basically so, saying we've never met anybody like. That hasn't died. Yes. are the worst neighbors. Well, it seems to me like if you've never met anyone that hasn't had at least one person die, that maybe you ought to move the benchmark. But yeah, that's like just me. Figuring out a solution, period. But, you know, so, sometimes, sometimes the species can get stuck in a rut, mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And the Organians right. got stuck in a 10,000-year rut <laughs> Could be. until ridiculous. Enterprise. And yes. then and then Archer goes off on him, which is great. Mm-hmm. He tells him, I don't want to be sophisticated, um, advanced if it costs me, you know, empathy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Agree. I loved that. It's a great speech. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to ask you guys this thought here. So there, this is something that just kind of came to my mind right now. What if this isn't the only test? What if there's like organians that are scattered across the galaxy and there's different things that they're that they're watching and observing? Like this one is like a medical one and they're like I don't know, there could be something else. I'm not a writer, so I don't know what it could be, but what if there are like I don't know, a dozen different organian pairs scattered across the galaxy observing different events, seeing how the aliens in all over the galaxy react? That makes sense, actually, yeah. mm-hmm. because this particular situation was location based, right? And so they obviously had been posted there, right, to wait for something to happen. And I don't get so, the impression that they put this silicon virus on this planet again. They, oh no, they, not at they all. Said this would have no, happened no, no. had we been here or not? Yeah, they yeah. kept saying they kept making a point of that. Yeah, um, and I don't, th- I don't feel like they were lying. Yeah, right. No. So maybe they have different benchmarks, like you said, Brandon, in different parts of the galaxy, in different parts of the universe, for all we know. Mm-hmm. Could be. Yeah, we don't know how far the Organians reach. So They could yeah, reach like, pretty far because they why don't have bodies. Why couldn't they have been hanging out over a Fraggle Rock? Then they'd think they could meet them. That could be it. There you go. Fraggle Rock. Archer could have told them all about it. Yeah. Yeah, they figured that one out, and no one else was able to. Uh-huh. Yeah, come on, get on that Lokek thing. Oh wait, they already solved it. <laughs> Excellent. So, as far as fan service goes, there's one thing in here that I loved as well, and then I love that they mentioned the Cardassians, and I'm like, yeah, mm. oh, that's so cool. You know that the Cardassians have been here, uh, and then again, again, it's just. Because of the line at the end, I think is part of the reason why I don't like it being the Arganians. It's like, well, we better get ready. I think we're not going to be ready for 5,000 years. We bet we got only 5,000 years to prepare this, and it's really only going to be about 70. Like, I don't know. Yeah, it was that the 5,000 years was a little annoying. <laughs> but I don't know. That's just me, I guess. So If, if they could have said, like, 100 more years, it would have been okay. Maybe. It would have been a lot of fan service, but it would have been okay to, to me. Maybe years are different for them because they're non-corporeal beings. But then 10,000 years was only like 140. Yeah, that, I don't know. I don't care. That's <laughs> nah, fine. It doesn't affect. Oh, yeah, this is still my favorite episode of the series. I love this one. It's a great episode. Unless, of course, I just watch Future Tense and then that's my favorite episode of the series. Right. <laughs> right. That's an ever-organic list. This is why I don't choose favorites. Yes. Unless you make me, which you do on a semi-regular basis. But I change mine every time, and it's fine. Brandy, I expect you to tell me right here, right now, who's your favorite core host, Brandon or Patrick? And you can't choose Mm-mm. Bruce. You Mm-mm. can't choose Bruce. <laughs> you can't choose Bruce. Nope. Nope. I do not choose between my She children. doesn't want to hurt your feelings. Any final thoughts? Not saying a word. <laughs> Any final thoughts on either of these episodes, guys? 
I think it's a good pairing to talk about. They're both kind of dramatic, and yet they, with uh, Observer Effect, we do have a little bit of humor, especially when Travis is, like, staring at Trip and Hoshi through yes. the observ- observation window. Yes. so creepy. And, <laughs> and, and they're like, how are you doing? And he's like, I, I wanted to know more about how you were doing, like, emotionally. <laughs> how are you handling this? And they're like, what? What is wrong with you? Uh, just little moments like that just mm-hmm. just bring me joy. But I, I actually really enjoy both of these episodes. Are they perfect? No. Nothing is perfect. Mm-hmm. But I I think they're really strong episodes for season four. Patrick, anything else you want to add? I agree. I mean, they both kind of revolve around death, which is creepy, but it's good. And um, needles! Stupid yeah, needles. needles. They both have needles. <laughs> I do like I do like the creepy looking through the window. Um when they're the medical staff and they're like, Well, how are you? And he's like, You have the scanners. You know, like <laughs> the hell you ask what are you asking me for? <laughs> but um but no, I, I thought they were really good episodes and they're really good to talk together because they kind of have similar themes and they're not tied to other over over They're not tied to other arcs. Overarching arcs, yeah. Overarching, overarching, yeah. Overarching arcs. They're not. They're not tied to other stories. Yes. They're standalones that work really well. All right. So my last thoughts on this, and I forgot to mention it earlier, so I'll make this as my last. I'm pretty sure it's Janet Lee, who's a very constant commenter on our threads and a loyal listener of the show. And I wanted to bring something up that she's mentioned in a few threads. Uh, in regards to Daedalus. So uh, um, she had mentioned, and I hope I'm getting this right, and Janet, you can comment if I'm not quite getting it right, but in Cogenitor, I believe it was, she thinks that Tripp's decision in Cogenitor started, and, and, and Archer's reaction to it, started a rift in their friendship. And she had mentioned a few spots, and this was one of the episodes that she had mentioned as like a continuing example of that rift in their friendship with the way that Archer is reacting towards Trip in Daedalus and how frustrated he's getting with him in the hallway. And I've never seen it that way myself. I just, I, I see these things as like contained plot elements for an episode and with character elements like that, I don't, I don't see them as a consistent thread throughout. And uh, I'm just wondering what you guys thought of that. Do you see this as like a, uh, as a culmination of like a frustration or anger that Archer might have towards Trip? I took his frustrations in, early on in the episode as him sort of having to come to grips with, he had to pick between two family members. Mm-hmm. And he didn't like being put in that spot. Mm-hmm. Um, and not knowing what Emery's motives really were, he felt that Trip was putting him in that position, not Emery. Mm-hmm. Brandy? Because we also know that... I'm sorry. We also noticed that when he starts to, to realize that Emery is not being fully honest with him, he goes to Trip mm-hmm. first and tells him to look deeper into it. And that's how Trip finds the feedback loop. Yeah. Brandy, what do you well, think? And- Trip started to have suspicions earlier on, mm-hmm. and Archer listened to them. So I never at any point felt like there was any kind of animosity or frustration. Uh, like when they're walking down the hall and Trip's talking about how excited he is, and Archer's just like, why? Because Emery isn't a celebrity to Archer. Mm-hmm. He has a totally different relationship with him, so he he doesn't have the same feelings, and so he's just like... 
dude, it's just my friend Emery. Why are you going on about this? That's a normal reaction, in my opinion. I didn't find anything there that feeds this rift between them. Mm -hmm. it, and even, I did, it didn't even occur to me at all yeah. when I watched it again yesterday. So, no, I think I think if it was if you took just that scene in a vacuum, where he's basically screaming, "You have your orders. Can you do this or can you not?" I think you could see that, but. There's too much that happens around that scene that says otherwise. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just a, a just for the episode contained. That's about it. I don't I don't see a rift between them at all. I think they have a friendship that's very strong. Myself. Um, yes. But yeah. Anyways, Janet, I just wanted to talk about that, and uh, we thank you for your comments that you post on our threads, and we appreciate it. So, excellent. This is a lot of fun, and um, we I guess I should tell people here what we're going to be talking about uh, next time on Warp 5. We're going to be having some uh, bonus episodes that are coming out uh, that, I've, that I recorded at the Northeast Comic Con. Uh, but our next episode that we're recording next week is The Bride of Frankenstein. We're going to be getting back into our movie night. And then uh, the episode after that that we'll be recording, we're actually going to do a fun one here, if anybody wants the feedback ahead of time here. Inspired by a recent episode of Trek Ranks, uh, we're actually going to do a top five episode titles for Star Trek Enterprise episodes. So uh, those are the next two that we're recording, and we're going to have a couple of Northeast Comic Con uh, stuff scattered in between there as well. So uh, check your feeds because you're going to be getting a lot of Warp 5 over the next couple of weeks. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we've got some fun interviews. We've got an interview with J.G. Hertzler coming out and an interview with Leslie Hoffman. So uh, plus, I think I, I think the last episode released was the panel that we did. So I'm just trying to get my bearings as to timelines. I think I think that one has already been released. But Talking about the Organians is not all that we've been discussing on the network this week. So please take a listen to this clip and see what else you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, continuing mission. You know, another production. And now. Another fourth, I Yeah, <laughs> but now they are. And that in itself seems to me to be laying the, the roots or the bases. For something that could grow bigger sometime in the future i mean let's get this one out of the way and then see where it goes <laughs> from there but but now you have a collective earl gray <laughs> detecting romulan life forms do, 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 do. oh sorry did you say there are romulan life forms yeah. No, I said there was there 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 used to be. So used you, to be you, you detect fate science. What have you guys created? <laughs> yes. Do, 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 do. Okay, so there are life forms. Interesting, fascinating. I was 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 life forms. They're gone now, but there was traces of life forms that were present at the um, at the shuttlecraft. Oh my goodness! Dead Starfleet officers, dead Romulans. This isn't really helping much, is it? <laughs> Standard orbit. This episode is emblematic of how it wanted to grab the bull by the proverbial horns and, and wrestle those kinds of issues to the ground and serve as an example of, uh, of where a certain subset of people stood at the time in trying to react to the craziness of their own world. And, and that's, that's one of the things that I just continuously love about this show. The 602 Club. And, and that's the thing. I, I think you need a movie like this because most of the time when we think about 
astronauts and the, the, these heroes who do these extraordinary things, um, we're painting with a very broad brush. Um, e even in the right stuff, which, uh, like I said, it at least gives you some differences in the personalities of those guys. This is like, you know, the, this masterclass in the in the psychology of this one particular person. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcast. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, on iPhone, iPad, and Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave a star rating and written review. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, in most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 files from our website or grab the RSS link. Who's next? Who's next? You are. I'm, I am. Yes. Okay. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are so many ways for you to do that. The best place, of course, to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Go to that Facebook search field. Type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, and it should come right up. It's usually the very first option. Actually, mine just comes up now when I type the... It's just, boom, Babel Conference. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Warp 5. That will come directly to us, and you can find the network also on Twitter at trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. Brandy, where can people find you when you're not cold-heartedly watching people die? Mm, God, that is one of my favorite pastimes. Ooh. Do I do anything else in my free time? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can find me lurking in the Babel Conference, as per usual. Uh, you can also find me on Live from the Edge here on the Trek FM Network. Uh, at the time this releases, we will have already had our next episode of that. Uh, we're covering the short treks until Discovery starts up again in January, and then we will have regular shows. We are going to have to move our show to Friday nights because Discovery episodes are now releasing on Thursdays. Mm -hmm. So Live from the Edge will, after the short treks have finished, be coming out on Friday nights. So be there or be square. I know you want to stay home on a Friday night and watch us on YouTube. I know you do. Uh also, you can hear me on the Dark Corner podcast with my wonderful husband, Dave, where we talk about stuff and things from a darker perspective. We also recently did a live D&D &D show at our local comedy loft, which uh, we put the recording in our feed for your listening pleasure. It was hella good fun. Excellent. Patrick, where can people find you when you're not getting ejected in your ugly back? Well, unfortunately, that happens quite often. And uh, But when I'm not doing that, or even maybe if I am, you can always find me on the Babel Conference because you don't have to actually see me. I just type there. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at MagicDrop5. That's one word. The five is a digit, though, not letters. And you can find me uh, every other Friday-ish uh, coming to you on the edge with uh, my buddy Amy. Uh, Brandon, where can people find you when you're not inhabiting my doctor and watching me die of the flu? Ah... <laughs> uh... <laughs> You can find me uh, inhabiting your science officer and watching you die of the flu. You can also Fair. find me inhabiting your your helmsman and asking you weird, creepy questions. 
and you can. Yeah, that's the odd look I got from you too. It wasn't a normal, kind of a blank. Kind of stare. blank. That's common for me. Is this blank, vacant expression <laughs> on my face? So, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Brandon Metella. You can find me here on the network with Melodic Treks, which is all about the music of Star Trek. You can find me on the Fandom Podcast Network with my friends Chris and Tom as we talk about Alfred Hitchcock films on Good Evening and Alfred Hitchcock Podcasts. And every once in a while, I release an episode of Breaking the Waves, which is on Cinematic Sound Radio. Still only two. I just was too busy and couldn't get that Halloween episode out. Uh, But still two as of this point where we focus on electronic film scores. If you'd like to help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content such as the three of us talking about Odo, producer credits, and more available through our special patrons website, Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month, and we really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. And if you can't find them there, you can talk to these wonderful, wonderful associate producers that we like to call Organians, who sit there and watch our podcasts while we record. And they look all creepy at us while we're doing it, playing chess and whatnot. We have Norm and Celia. <laughs> Brandy's giving me a weird look. I don't and like apparent- it when people are watching me without my permission. And apparently, because Brandy's giving him a weird look, he had to butcher Norman C. Lau's name. <laughs> so sorry. Norman C. Lau. Norman C. Lau. <laughs> Floyd Dorsey. Mike Morrison. Tim Cooper. Justin Oser. Mark Flessa, Chris Tribuzio, and Jim McMahon. Thank you guys so much for your support of Warp 5 and Trek FM as a whole. We really appreciate it. Well, until next week, or if you guys want to watch it, we'll be talking about Bride of Frankenstein. Keep calm Super excited. and boom on. Super excited.